Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Sue Parisher. Sue is on the show today, courageously sharing her story of domestic abuse to create awareness as well as provide resources for those who might be in an abusive situation currently or still trying to heal from one in the past. Today, we discuss overcoming self-fear and doubt, transforming from domestic violence victim to survivor, identifying and defeating the abuser's lies, and how we can best love domestic violence victims. So today is not an easy conversation, but a necessary one, especially in October as it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sue. Hello, Sue. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. So today, unfortunately, is not an easy conversation, but a necessary one. You are a victim of domestic violence. And in fact, October is actually Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So would you begin by sharing your story with us? Of course. Thank you, Rachel. So by profession, I'm a retired Lieutenant Colonel who spent 21 years on active duty in the Army. For 20 of those years, I was emotionally, sexually, and physically abused by my husband, um, who also was a uh, military officer. So for 20 years, my abusive husband told me what to do. He told me how to do it. And he continuously corrected me as I could never do anything right. Like the engagement ring I was promised but never received. Promises were continuously broken. Physical and emotional punishments became more and more frequent. And that great guy that I married transformed into an ugly, volatile, unpredictable, and extremely self-absorbed person. The irony in my journey is that as I was progressing through my military career and subsequent promotions, as I was being given increased responsibilities in my positions and assignments in my professional life, the abuse within my home life worsened. The Army was recognizing my abilities and capabilities while my abusive husband was tightening the grip, controlling our home life tighter and tighter. For two years, I was a prison warden at the Department of Defense prison in Germany. Imagine my internal confusion as I was a prison warden by the day and prisoner in my home at night. This caused such internal struggles for me. In a lot of ways, it caused me to have a split personality in order to deal with the disconnect my world had become. So we had started our family while we were on active duty, which proved to increase the abuse as he hated sharing me with anybody. With two boys under the age of eight, our two-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer. A year later, the cancer spread to her spinal cord and the only chance of her survival required a bone marrow transplant. Luckily, God gave us the gift of her older brother being a pure match. And I always love to tell everybody that my daughter is still alive today um, by the grace of God. But during that time, you know, this increased stress on my abuser definitely worsened my abuse um, very, very significantly. So one night after almost fatal fight, I found myself on the floor screaming, tears running down my cheeks, my arms just wailing in the air. On this very night where sin, hopelessness, darkness, and my ability to remain alive collided, I screamed out to God to keep me alive for another day, all the while believing that God was allowing these horrific things to happen to me. Unsure of what to do next, I prayed the same prayer. God, if you allow me to stay alive today, I promise I will get myself and the kids away from him. 
And then I just prayed this prayer for the next 30 days because I really didn't know what else to do. So Rachel, that was back in 2007. And since then I've been uh, working on my transformation from victim to survivor, you know, just navigating those long-term effects of abuse while growing closer to God along the way. Well, I am first of all, so sorry for what you have gone through. Um, and I applaud also your, your courage and, and bravery now to be honest with your story. And so I, th I think this may seem like a silly question, but for those of us listening who haven't gone through what you have gone through, can you can you define domestic violence? Is it is it something physical and emotional, or can you kind of give us a, a working definition? Yeah, so it's a pattern of behaviors, okay, and it's all about power and control. So it's a pattern of behaviors where one partner is trying to control. The other partner and when we're talking about partners we're talking about partners in an intimate relationship okay so at the core domestic violence is all about one partner exercising his or her control over the other partner so when we're talking about power we're talking about like being threatening using coercion using intimidation isolation minimizing denying blaming so, so those are some of the control tactics that abuser will use, you know, to prevent a partner from doing something that they want them to do or that they don't want them to do. And in my personal experience, the power of control for my abuser really had nothing to do with what was going on in the actual situation. It really had all to do with making sure my abuser knew that at any moment he wanted, he could control the situation and control the control my behaviors, my reaction to my behavior, or my reactions to his behaviors, however he wanted to. So when we talk about the categories of abuse, yes, physical abuse, emotional abuse, those are potentially the ones that are, are most talked about. Um, but it goes much further than that. You know, sexual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, financial abuse. All those types of abuse are equally prevalent and, and equally damaging. Um, and as a retired Lieutenant Colonel, Rachel, I just want to throw out there that I can personally attest that domestic violence does not discriminate um, anyone, regardless of race, regardless of age, social economic status, education. Um, any, any of us can fall into the horrors of, of this situation. And, and, you know, honestly, Sue, I think it's something that isn't talked about that often. So I'd love for you to share with us some of the current statistics pertaining to domestic violence. Here, here's pretty scary. Um, you know, from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, in the United States, the United States, one out of four women will experience wow. severe intimate partner violence. Violence. Yeah within the United States. So one out of four will experience it within her lifetime. When we're talking about, um, you know, being raped, the statistic is one out of 10 women in the United States will be raped by an intimate partner during her lifetime. So Rachel, I'd like to take this one step further for you and the listeners and challenge everybody, you know, thinking about one in four women, next time they're in the grocery store, they just walk down the aisle and count four and go, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you're number four, right? How about next time we're walking through Walmart? Count one out of four women. Walking through your workplace, you know? And remember, 
you know, even though COVID's keeping us out of church right now, at least my, my, my church per se, right? We're in church too. So there's nothing like sitting in, in the middle of a Sunday service and just counting the rows of one out of four women right there in the church service. And I, I really think that exercise helped me just become so situationally aware of how gut-wrenching our numbers are, like in all, all places of our community. Yeah, that is very eye-opening. And so let's talk about some of the common lies that women can believe regarding abuse. What are some common lies that you have identified? So for me, the, the biggest one that kept me in the secret the longest is that like I'm the only person stupid enough to allow my husband to do these horrible things to me. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan had me convinced that no one else would have ever allowed these horrible things to happen. I mean, I was convinced how weak, like how embarrassing. The other lie is that, you know, my, my husband used to be a great guy. Mm -hmm. If only I had been a better wife, a better mother. Maybe I kept the kids quieter more, kept the house cleaned up more, done laundry faster. Maybe if I had stayed one step ahead of his desires, that good guy would come back. See, I felt like all this abuse was my fault for not doing what I should have been doing to be the better wife. I was convinced that if I just got my act together and did what I was supposed to be doing, that great guy would return and everything would be all good again. The lie that kept me in the relationship the longest revolved around my belief that the abuse was God's way of punishing me for sins that I committed earlier in life. I was an atheist during the abuse, and somewhere along the line, I justified the abuse as God's way of punishing me. I was carrying around such guilt for earlier sins in my life. There was an incident three years prior to my leaving my abuser where I, I was prepared to tell somebody about the abuse. I had the night all set up, and I was ready to take the chance. The meeting fell through, and I didn't get to talk that night, but the fear of Satan rang loud and clear. My punishment for my earlier sins wasn't over yet. It would be three more long years before I obtained the courage to face leaving my abuser again. But then at the end of it all, like who was really going to believe me? I mean, after being told how stupid and incompetent I was for so many years, I mean, I just believe that lie so 100%. It only made sense that even if I did have the courage to tell somebody, nobody was going to believe me. Mm. Uh, goodness, just, just thinking through those thought processes, um, I can see how they would bind up so many women. And I imagine that self-doubt and fear probably played a big role in your experience as well. And so I would love to hear how you overcame these feelings. Yeah, I have to be honest, self-doubt, self-worth, um, you know, I don't know that I'll ever master that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it is a constant daily struggle um, for me to put myself first, prioritize taking care of myself, believing in my abilities, or trusting that I'm able to, to do anything right. And so um, I'm better, you know, um, through God's word, uh, I am better at that. But I think fear, fear is the big one that, um, you know, it, it, for me, it, it was all about identifying the triggers. Um, so the trigger is anything that brings me back to a memory um, of the traumatic experience, right? And it brings me right back to where I was, uh, you know, a couple of years ago during that painful event. So anything that I saw, felt, or experienced that took me back to that painful place in my past, I had to identify it 
And then I had to put tools against it uh, to minimize the effect. And that's how I was able to negate the fear. And I don't know if I'm making any sense, but like, you know, I, if I came across something, um, let's say a, a song on the radio, and it took me back to an argument 10 years ago, then I realized that, you know, maybe radio and, and songs that sporadically come along isn't the best thing for me. Therefore, I always listen to Christian um, CDs. That way I can control the input that was going into my head and I would lessen the triggers. Um, sometimes I had to change the routes because there would be certain reminders on the drives that would remind me of this painful past or that painful past. Um, navigating the holidays is horrible. I mean, because there's just so much memories tied to the Christmas tree or the 4th of July fireworks or, you know, the Thanksgiving turkey. And, and so many of those days just had to be totally reconstructed and put against truth in order to navigate around them. And then of course there's the fear like where the actual abuse happened. So in the house. So there was constant reminders of the nick on the wall or the holes on the floor or the scratched up furniture. So, so overcoming the fears really required like total transformation of the event. I mean, not the event of my of my my living space, my workspace, my driving space, what I was hearing, what I was seeing. It's a huge, huge undertaking. But minimizing the effects of the triggers is one of the best ways for, was one of the best ways for me to minimize the fear. Because I had to learn and accept the fact that there's difference between feeling safe and being safe. Um, really, really hard things to work through. Mm, I can only imagine. And what good practical advice on, on how you worked through some of those feelings. So Sue, how do we first identify an abuser's lies? Is, is that kind of step one in this process? Yes. And I, you know, the simple answer is, you know, an abuser lies, it, it contradicts God's word. Yeah. So as we know, you know, God's word offers life, peace, calmness, and joy, an abuser's lie causes, you know, confusion, uncertainty, unnecessary stress, causes anxiety, second guessing, or extreme doubt. It's a statement that causes someone to do something not because they want to do it, but because out of fear. So it's going to be a lot easier, Rachel, for a non-victim to hear the lie than it is for me as a victim to hear the lie, because you got to kind of remember that I've been groomed, you know, mm -hmm. I've been groomed to tell, to be told how to think. I've been groomed to be told how to react. So a lie is going to stand out a lot easier to a non-victim versus someone like me, who's been like just relentlessly told day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Well, so, so how do the lies of an abuser affect our ability to transform from domestic violence victim to survivor? The lies affect everything. You know, they, they affected my ability to hear, they affected my ability to think, and they affected my ability to act on my own. 20 years of emotional abuse destroyed my ability to make decisions on my own. It destroyed my ability to trust my thoughts my actions or my intentions. See, leaving my abuser didn't restore my shattered self-worth. Thinking on my own for the first time in years caused me great anxiety 
extreme doubt of my abilities and continuous second guessing. After a couple of years of being a single mom, one thing started to become really, really clear that the thoughts in my head really weren't mine. They were the residual leftovers of so many years of pounding abuse. My thought process was brainwashed to the point that I was unable to think on my own. And my only ability to think revolved around the brainwashing lies that my abuser had so convinced me were true. And reality really, really hurt and hit home when I realized that being away from my abuser didn't make me the survivor. It really just made me a remote control puppet still functioning under the control of his emotional brainwashing. Well, so if, if a woman is in a situation like you were in, how can they start defeating the abuser lies? You know, the, the, the best answer, Rachel, you know, is, is in God's word. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, I looked at the Bible and I'm like, wow, this is really big. This is really cumbersome. This is a bunch of stories that I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and, and so knowing God's, knowing to go to God's word and know where in the Bible to grab this particular pieces um, was really, really, really confusing to me until this one church service uh, where the pastor challenged us a summer reading program, um, read the book of Proverbs. And I, I know you love the book of Proverbs too. Um, one chapter a day um, for June, July, and August. That reading, summer reading challenge was life altering to me, simply life altering to me. Because, you know, the book of Proverbs, as you all know, is about gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding insight and, and knowing what is right and wrong. So reading the book of Proverbs really eye-opened me and got me, you know, because I had to have another set of, of things to, you know, somebody to follow, somebody to tell me what to do. I am very transparent with, I went from my abuser telling me what to do to God telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't begin to think uh -huh. on my own until much, much later, but at least God telling me what to do was so much healthier, obviously, than my abuser. So it was the book of Proverbs telling me what to do. And it was the book of Proverbs that introduced me to the correct understanding of what is right and wrong. And so um, that, that to me would be the groundbreaking um, place to start in the Bible to identifying God's word, identifying the lies and how to put the truth to the lies. Well, you know, you, you mentioned that you were an atheist at one point and, and you're talking about now God's word and how great of an impact had, you know, that had on you. And so I'd love to, I don't know, I mean, when did you first find out about the Lord and, and then what role, do you have anything else to say on what role God's word has played in your healing? So, I, you know, I, I, I went to God when there was nowhere else to turn. Yeah, yeah, I'll be totally transparent. You know, when, when you're at the bottom of the well, there's nowhere else to turn. Um, you're about to, to, to leave the earth and your kids are about to be motherless. Uh, you realize that I, I realized that I had, I had no control over the situation anymore. Um, and then I just threw my hands up and I said, okay, I give up. I mean, I, I look back now and I see God trying to get my attention here and get my attention here and get my attention here. Um, but due to confusion, brainwashing, I don't know. I, I mean, I just, you know, I, I didn't, I, I thought he was punishing me. There mm -hmm. was no way that that, and again, remember my daughter had cancer. 
I'm right. living in abuse. I'm bruised up. My daughter has cancer. I mean, like, you know, that good God that everybody else is talking about, he just really wasn't there in my world. You know what I mean? And so um, yeah. I was taking the pounding pretty bad. But at the point where I realized that um, I, I no longer could control my world and I could no longer control my situation and he was my last hope, me tell you, he just curled up right there on the floor with me that night, wrapped his arms around me and um, met me right there where I was at, at the bottom of the pit. And, um, you know, it's been a great growing relationship ever since. So you keep mentioning your children. And so I just can't help but to continue to think about them as well, because they were in this whole life season alongside you and and so I'm thinking of them as I'm asking you this next question of course I don't I'm not to lead you into the answer but what gave you the strength to establish uh, boundaries <laughs> you, does that make sense why I'm putting your kids in there too it's like you're, you're protecting yourself but you're protecting them as well um yeah so the strength for the boundaries was a really um it was a kind of strange um um uh, phase of my recovery, I actually had to like do a split personality because, you know, boundaries, that invisible fence, you know, that putting that evil out, keeping the good in, the learning how to say no. I mean, you know, I remember going over with my therapist, like, really? You think I'm going to say no and like live till tomorrow to tell about it? Like, you're crazy. And, mm. and so, you know, I did the book, I, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. But I actually had to, to kind of do a, um, a uh, um, you know, a split personality kind of thing. And uh, me, myself, and I was really the game I played. <laughs> and so, like, me separated, myself and I kind of went, Holy Spirit, you know, you, you and that other split person out of me, you start putting those boundaries up. You start saying no. You start slowly, you know, putting evil out and keeping good clothes. And so it, it, it was a really, really scary, frightening um, part of my, my transformation, but it involved the strength of the Holy Spirit. And it really just involved God's word, um, you know, because he told me if I did this, he would do that. If he did this, I could do that. And it was just a combination of God's word and the Holy Spirit strengthening me and keeping me safe. Yeah, and I love how you say that it's, it wasn't, you didn't do it alone. You know, the, the role of therapy, the role of church, the role of God's word, um, how much really goes into your healing. And so uh, let's talk kind of about hope. How do you think you were able to, to hold on to hope? You know, it was my kids. Like I did it for them. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I, you know, like we all say it, but you know, I mean, I gave up everything for them. You know, I mean, everything, every waking part of my recovery was for them, whether it was for them and my daughter. So that my daughter didn't didn't know that this was a this is what I wanted. This is what a relationship should look like later in life. Mm -hmm. Like you know, I had to I had to show her on uh, you know something different. So she was my hope. Um, my two boys are my hope because I don't want my boys to think that that's how they're supposed to treat the women in their life. So I fought the fight for them 
and uh, you know, in, in an effort to break the cycle, in an effort to teach them what right it looks like, in an effort to bring faith and God into their world. Um, you know, the, the pillar for my fight soon became Romans 12, 19, it, you know, my foundational truth, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for, for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And, and Rachel, I had to trust completely, 100%, that if I, if I did what God was asking me to do, he would do what he said he would do. And that knowing that I couldn't fight my abuser on my own, this truth became really, really critical. And then believing that God would, would work it all out in the end. So, Sue, for the woman listening who is identifying with your experience, what is the one main message that you want her to hear today? My abuser abused me because of his perception on how our relationship should be. My abuse had nothing, had nothing to do with what I did or didn't do. The abuse was unrelated to my actions, my inactions, my spoken words, my mistakes. Um, my abuser's behaviors were the result of his perceptions on the relationship. It, had, it really wasn't due to anything that I did or didn't do. And I would also want a listener to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, that's, that's a very freeing thought when you can actually really, really comprehend it. Yeah. Well, and so for those of us listening who can't relate personally with your experience, what's the main message that you want us to hear today? Back to what I said earlier, that, you know, one out of four women in the United States will become victim yeah. to domestic violence, you know, and, and, and that it's not discriminating, okay? Mm -hmm. It is everywhere, whether we want to believe it or not, you know, it's in our church, it's in our workplaces, it's, it's in our maybe not in our families, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, it is everywhere, and, um, you know, and the more we learn about it, the more we can be able to help our sisters um, when the need comes, because I often believe that God will go ahead with my platform and my story and my journey, and then, you know, they'll figure something out, you know, a, a non-victim or a victim. And um, these kind of, I guess what I'm saying is I really love these kind of conversations because I do believe it, it sends, you know, the message out there before God connects the dots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of prepares us ahead of time for yep. what we, we or somebody else we know uh, might go through. And I love that you're bringing something that so often is hidden and in the dark uh, into the light. And so this season, Sue, I'm asking all of my guests who has loved them well and how have they loved you well? And so I would love to hear, you know, during your really severe uh, season of what you went through, who loved you well during during that time? And how did they love you well during that time? So, you know, when we're talking about who loved me well, we're talking about after I was safely removed. So during the abuse, nobody, um, you know, we're really good at shutting down and not letting anybody in. So it would be years, years after I separated and even remotely started to feel safe again, that I would even start opening up to my stepsister, Jen. Um, so she was the first person who I opened up about the abuse. And, and she was great. I mean, and, and her husband was great because the minute I called on the phone, he would take the kids and she would just listen and she would just listen and she would just listen. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's years and years of coming alongside 
out of somebody, but she was always there for me, continues to be there for me, and um, love her to death. Wow, I find that so interesting, but I can see how that was the case that you, and it makes me so sad that nobody could love you well in that season because you were so, had so many walls up, and I, I assume. Absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, what would you say about how we can best love domestic violence victims? I heard you say, listen, 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 listen. So <laughs> is there anything else? I mean, that, that rang loud and clear to me. So is there anything yeah. else you'd want to say on that? Yeah. And let's finish that sentence. You know, listen, it doesn't mean, and then give your opinion or then tell me what to do. Because quite frankly, like I said earlier, I've been told what to do for, you know, 20 years. And, yeah. and, and part of the transformation from victim to survivor is making my own decisions and, and starting to believe in myself. So, um, and, and kind of remember superficially that I'm not really telling you the whole story. Right. Like I'm just telling you the part I feel safe with right that second to see your reaction or see what you are or aren't going to do. So um, listening is not the same as telling me what to do and then trying to help me figure out how to do and fix the situation. So that's what I really mean by listening. But with that become with that comes respecting the danger of the situation. I mean, if I trust you with something, like you have to remain a hundred percent confidential. You're not helping by telling somebody. You're not helping by letting it slip. You're not you're not helping by having the conversation overheard by your kids in the other room. I mean, really, really respect the 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 danger of the situation that we're sharing with you and keep it utmost of confidential. Mm. You know, realizing that just because we leave our abusers, it doesn't make us a survivor. Um, you know, after I left my abuser, I had no idea how to think on my own. I had no idea or belief in my abilities, as I said earlier. So, um, you know, don't, don't call us a survivor just because we left, you know, we, we still have a lot of work and you have to respect that trauma. That trauma is deeply rooted and it requires effort to, to pull it out, uh, refocus it and put it back in our minds in a more healthier way. Um, and the last thing, Rachel, you know, without getting into a long story, is just be really careful with scripture. You know, yeah. scriptures are really confusing. Um, like I, I almost walked out of church on the be anxious for nothing sermon, like, you know, because I'm hearing it with tainted ears. Yeah. Right. And so you tell me something like, oh, don't worry, God's got a plan or, you know, oh, everything happens for a reason, you know, or mm. like, and don't push me to forgive when it's not time for me to forgive. So you have to be really, really careful about the scripture. Um, because we're just hearing it with tainted ears and it's not coming out like, like, you know, a, a non-victim is hearing it per se. Those are all really, really good words of wisdom. And I think, um, I want listeners to know as well that you have a book that you've written on this topic. And so, um, tell us more about that and, and how listeners can keep in contact with you. Sure. So my book, Rock Bottom and Faithless, Defeating the Lies of Domestic Abuse with God's Truth. Um, so it's, it's just a breakdown of uh, like 25 lies, um, you know, just a kind of like little sh short story of the lie, putting God's truth against the lie, and then the how. 
how do we take God's truth and how do we incorporate it into our world so that we can transform from victim to survivor? So, you know, it really has a practical application on helping a victim identify the lies, but putting some tools behind it to help us move forward and navigate, you know, either around the lie, through the lie, or over the lie. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my baby written right in the raw of when I was going through um, the worst part of the transformation. So um, it's been helpful to a lot of women who read it. Well, what about some other resources that you would recommend for women uh, for further study on this topic? I definitely recommend Call to Peace. Um, they're a Christian ministry in the, in the next town over here in North Carolina. They um, are, are super, they have online Bible studies, um, they have annual conferences, um, they just have a super, super network set up online to actually, you know, I don't want to say triage, but walk, walk a victim through the whole safety process of uh, planning their, their, their exit strategy, walking alongside them as they do that. As I said, they, they've They've got their own great book over there. They've got a great workbook, online Bible studies, fantastic, fantastic group of women over there um, that I would come alongside with. I actually, the, the proceeds from the book, from my book, actually are donated to them. Um, I support transportation requirements for women um, because like we can't work if we don't have transportation. We don't, can't have independence unless we have transportation. And so, um, yeah, that's how I come alongside with them. Love them over there. Yeah. Well, Sue, I, I so appreciate you um, being my guest and, and for bravely sharing your story. I know it's not an easy story to share and to relive, but the fact that you're sharing it in hopes that you're helping other women through it um, is, is really uh, inspiring to me personally. And so th this conversation has been eye opening for me and I so appreciate your wisdom and insight. God bless you, Sue. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Sue Perisher. I hope that if you are a domestic abuse victim yourself, you are able to find the safety and the healing and the hope that God and the world can provide physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And for those of us who can't relate to Sue's story, I pray that we are more aware of the reality of what so many women are facing. If you are interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, and you can also have them sent directly to your inbox each week by going to rachelkadams.com and subscribing to receive my weekly love offering newsletter. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that on iTunes or on your favorite listening platform, just so more women can hear this Love Offering message. Next week, my guest is Tamara Andress. She is the podcast host of Fit in Faith, and we are going to be chatting about our dreams, entrepreneurship, and living out our unique purpose. I hope that we chat then, but until we meet again, I hope that you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.